Some days, months, even years, it can feel like our crosses are just too heavy, and even the strongest among us can start to lose touch with the joy of our Catholic faith. A wonderful veteran homeschooling mom many of you already know and love, Mary Ellen Barrett, will share with us about carrying crosses and embracing joy. Don't miss this. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello, I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and we're talking with Mary Ellen Barrett today about carrying crosses and embracing joy. Mary Ellen Barrett is mother of eight children and wife to David. She is a lifelong New Yorker, an active member of her parish, Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Lindenhurst, New York. Mrs. Barrett is the editor of Seton Magazine and director of special projects for Seton Home Study School. She has had her work published in Faith and Family Magazine, CatholicMom.com, Catholic News Service, Catholic Digest, and was a columnist for the Long Island Catholic for almost 15 years. She speaks and writes on issues pertaining to homeschooling, Catholic family life, marriage, bereavement, and special needs issues, and is an occasional blogger at maryellenbarrett.com. You can contact her there. Mary Ellen, thanks so much for being here today. It's good oh, to I'm see you. Oh, I'm delighted to be. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. It's always a joy. We've had a lot of really neat conversations over the years, and um, you always make hard subjects feel more natural for us. I don't know why we're, you know, it really is a gift that you have. And our lives honestly can be incredibly hard. And sometimes we don't feel like what we're supposed to be, right? That bright city shining on the hill. So, yes. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of times we don't. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy to maintain that kind of uh, joyful holiness that we're called to have all the time, you know, um, especially in a homeschool life, because homeschooling is hard. It's really <laughs> hard. <laughs> you know, it really, really is. So um, it's hard to maintain that all the time. And I don't think it's reasonable to expect us to maintain it all the time. Right, right. We're going to have our ups and downs. Um, give us a little perspective on your own learning and, and process or anything that you want to say out of the gate about what it is to carry a heavy cross. Um, what it is. It's carrying a heavy cross. And I'm going to be very specific to how this really happened to me. Um, I had a perfectly wonderful, nice average life with the kind of perfectly normal problems that other people have um, until uh, 2009 when my, my oldest son passed away very unexpectedly very um tragically uh it was a huge shock it was a horrible thing to have happen anybody who's lost a child knows no matter how you lose a child it's a horrifying thing and something you don't expect and it hits you like a ton of bricks but at the time he was the oldest of eight he was 14 i had ranging age down to an infant i, I was still nursing my youngest at the time and you have to get up in the morning and go on. And I remember whenever I'd heard about something tragic happen, um, I would think, oh, how do they get up in the morning and go on? But you just have to, you just have to. And in some ways, a tragedy like that takes away a certain amount of peace from your life. You, you, know, you now know that bad things happen to you. Like bad things don't just happen to other people. It's not something you read about in the newspaper, see on um, social media or whatever. You, you just lose this kind of peace. Like every time the kids leave the house, I, I 
realize that something terrible can happen, you know? Um, but you can't, and as my husband has told me a million times, you can't live in that place. You can't live in that place of trauma. Um, so you have to pick up your cross and carry it. And what, and I don't know how people get through things without their Catholic faith, without having um, the cross, that the example of Jesus on the cross to, to kind of cling on to. And it's funny because today we're, we're um, filming this on the, the uh, Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, which is one month to the day after I lost my son. Um, mm. I lost him on August 14th. And I remember writing a blog post because um, I had been silent for that month, thanking all the people all over the world who prayed for us and carried us through. And I, I wrote something to the effect of, we just hung on to that cross. And that suffering, we know that that suffering is not wasted that God was with us tenderly, the Blessed Mother was with us, and we felt those prayers of other people, and we just, you just have to go on, you just have to put one foot in front of the other and go on and rely on um, His His just tender mercy in those moments, and know that this, this is going so much toward our salvation, to our eternal salvation. You don't suffer through something like that, and put your faith in God to make it all right, and not have that glorious meeting at the end. And that's what David and I kind of still cling to because we still miss him. It's been 12 years, but we still miss him. So, so I had to pick up and just go. I had to nurse babies and change twins diapers and cook meals and drive people to soccer. And, and it changes you. It really does. I mean, the grief is still there. I could still burst into tears at any given moment, but it just becomes part of you and, and you just offer it up and live with it. You know, it, it which sounds so namby-pamby and like you're not doing anything but it really is um life-changing and soul-changing i think and it's hard it's really hard yeah what does it give you as you walk it out as you make that choice on good days and bad to know that you are united to the cross of christ and you're walking it out it well it gives me uh i don't want to come off saintly because it gives me Sometimes I'm kind of angry about it. I, I heard a beautiful homily um, not long ago, and it, the priest was saying um, it was it was the gospel where Jesus um, calls the the mother's son up, and he he rises from the dead. Oh right? yes, the but widow of name or something right. like that. And um and the, it was a beautiful homily about how how Christ gave this woman back her son, and it was kind of how um, you know the Blessed Mother gets her son back. And I was sitting there, I was in tears because I was thinking, I don't have my son back. Like, it just hit me. Like, I was really annoyed. Um, so don't don't think I'm saintly about this in any way. So it, it does give me a little bit of an anger to kind of get over and to, to work through. But I also think it's given me a little bit more empathy toward people who are suffering and a little bit more compassion. Not everybody suffers the same way. Uh, not everybody grieves the same way. Not everybody's cross is the same weight for them. You know, um, I feel like my cross is the heaviest in the world, but other people's are just as heavy, if not heavier. So you get like this little part of you tunes into to other people's suffering and even hidden sufferings. Like when when somebody isn't pleasant, you you. I kind of think, well, maybe maybe they have some burden I don't know about. Maybe, you know, they, maybe they're not just a jerky person or whatever. <laughs> maybe there's something there I don't know about. So it, I, my own impatient kind of snarky nature is a little bit less 
in the forefront because you've suffered greatly. You know, you, you tune in a little bit more to that, I think. I think that's what, and maybe that's part of the purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, it's so true that once you realize that you go through your day greeting people and doing what you must do and showing up as if you have it all together, because we do, we try, that there are other people out there too, putting on a brave face who may be carrying very, very heavy crosses. I remember Mother Teresa said something like um, that a cheerful countenance often, you know, hid, not in a, you know, in a dishonest way, but was kind of a covering for a really deep and sacrificial spirit. That 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 cheerful countenance could be an indication that there was deep suffering being carried willingly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think when, when we try to do that, when we do the best we can with that, um, especially mothers, because we feel things so deeply, I think, not that fathers don't, but it's just a different emotional connection to people's feelings, I think, um, for me anyway. Um, I think when we do that, when we try so hard to be cheerful in the, in, in the face of tragedy or to see other people's um, cheerful or happy natures and try to see the whole person, what's behind that, I think that that gives us a little glimpse of, of heaven in a way, because we want to... God, seeing the face of Christ in everybody and see that suffering in everybody, I think it it calls us more to a, a spiritual connection with heaven. I don't know. That's the way I feel. Mm. It's probably theologically completely incorrect. <laughs> no, that's, no. That's how I feel. <laughs> no, no. It's kind of given me the holy shivers, just the thought that when you see someone suffering, you're glimpsing the face of Christ. I've never thought of it quite that way before, but I think that's very, it strikes me as very true and quite beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I have to, because otherwise, what's the point? You know, I, I, I don't think God would put, let us allow suffering to happen to us for no reason. I mean, that would just be maniacal. It, and I think there's purpose to this and there's value in it. And, and that's so much a part of our faith. It's not wasted. You're not just here to suffer and, and then, you know, die and be buried and that's it. That would, God doesn't intend that for us. He intends beautiful paradise for us. And so I think if we kind of approach it and picking up our cross that we're journeying with him toward paradise, it lightens the load a little bit. Yeah. And it reminds me of, I think it's Hebrews 12, where St. Paul says that Jesus carried his cross for the sake of the joy that lay before him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And think, yeah, that's exactly the how I try to think of it anyway. I don't do it every day and I don't do it every minute. And again, I'm no saint, but when I can settle in and and really ponder why we go through these things, um, yeah, it's the joy at the end of it. The joy and the joy is so much different than happiness. You know, that kind of heavenly joy is not happiness. We're not always happy. Um, and this world is not a happy place as we, uh, gosh, every day it gets a little bit worse from some points of view. <laughs> you don't even want to turn on the news or open a paper. But happy is happy is wonderful. And, and happy is Christmas morning with your children and Thanksgiving and, and, you know, a nice warm cup of coffee and things like that. Those are happy. But joy is just in your soul. It's it's the presence of Christ. It's, it's um, I, I, like you said, holy shivers, like right down to your toenails incredible feelings and i think in some way we can't even perceive of it because it's such a a beatific kind of thing but here and so it's different than happiness we want to be happy of course everybody must be happy and feel good all the time but 
putting that aside for joy is difficult, but so much better. Mm -hmm. And that's what the saints had going on. When you think of the saints and how they suffered, so many of them, and and weren't had terrible lives in some ways, or were um, not happy in a lot of ways, but they had their eye on the joy, you know, what was coming next. So not always easy to remember. We're so human, you know. We like the warm cup of coffee feeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? and it's so important to be intentional about asking for that connection too. I know that there have been times. When I look at a cross differently, just out of the blue, where the Holy Spirit steps in and just shifts my perspective a little bit, and and it's almost like that spirit gift of knowledge. I suddenly know that He died for me. Yeah, and and I want to you know want to cry right now thinking of it because it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's extraordinary, and and yeah, it is. It's it's absolutely extraordinary. I I saw that the first time it really hit me like a ton of bricks was the first time I watched the Passion of the Christ and um, the scourging at the pillar. Because we hear about the scourging at the pillar all the time, but we don't internalize what that was, like what that entailed. Because of course you don't see that anywhere. And then I saw that graphic, disturbing depiction of it. And I thought, oh, I had I had no idea. Like I you know it was bad. But right. the visual of it. And then I thought, well, I I, I cried. Of course, I, most people did when they saw that. The idea that you would put yourself under that, you know, in those circumstances for me, you did it for me, you did it for you, you did it for all of us. And, and just knowing that he was going to get heaven, I don't know. I, it's just extraordinary to me. Yeah. So what I suffer seems, I, I don't know, less. I didn't take on the burdens of the world. I just have my own burdens. So. Mm. I remember years ago hearing one of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. I can't remember his name now. Maybe you do, because I know you're deeply linked with the Friars and have done so much for them. But he was a, at the time he was very young. He had kind of a rap, rapper style. Do you remember him? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I want to say Brother Gabriel or something like that. I can't remember his name. But he, at a youth conference that I was chaperoning some kids for, he pointed to the image of the white spotless lamb. And of course, that re- represents the purity of Christ. But he shocked everyone in the under that big tent um, by saying that image should be covered in blood. Our our lamb is not a bloodless lamb. Our lamb bled, and and he was making a really sincere point to the young people, and and I think shook us all. But it's really true when you it see a disturbing true. image like Mel Gibson's depiction of the scourging, it shakes you out of the platitudes. Right. Yes. And that's exactly what it did for me. I hadn't really internalized that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, circle back, just connect the dots to us for, um, I think so many people of faith can feel like, well, we're just not meant to be happy in this life. So, or, you know, grit our teeth and bear it, but we don't want to lose that connection to that holy joy. Why is that important, Mary Ellen? Well, for, for me personally, it's important to get through every day, at homeschooling and working and kids and, and now, you know, people working from home and all that kind of stuff. You need, you need that connection. For me, that, that starts with prayer every morning um, and then getting through my day with, the, with planning uh, three. Right now, I'm only homeschooling three, but three kids and working and stuff like that. I need to keep in mind what the goal is all the time. And the goal is to be in heaven and the goal is to get my family in heaven and that kind of joy. And, and 
One thing, if I could just point out that I don't think we talk about enough, especially in homeschooling circles, is that we carry crosses and we suffer. When, when, when you start homeschooling, there's this kind of um, ideal out there that everything's going to be easy. It's going to be so beautiful. You have your children home. You know, it, it makes everything so much easier. You don't have these outside influences and all this kind of stuff. It's not like that. It's just, and and when that kind of illusion is shattered, it can be very defeating and and you can suffer. What am I doing wrong? Why is everybody else doing better at this? Why, you know, why, why, why? And then you throw in um, the death of a family member or the loss of a job or an illness or or something like that. And oh my gosh, you're suffering. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And um, one of the thing, one of the reasons I like to talk about this is because I want homeschooling mothers to know you're not alone. Like there's everybody suffers, and homeschooling is hard. And this ideal that it's this perfect lifestyle, and if we just do it the right way, and if we just worked a little harder, and if you just smiled more, said more rosaries, or went to adoration, it would all just be better, you know. And that's that's not always the case. And I always feel badly when I when I counsel some moms. They're they feel this burden that they should just be so happy all the time because they're homeschooling and their children are learning the faith and they're teaching them the ABCs and they're doing craft projects. And it just isn't like that. That's not the real life. That's not the real world. You know, it's a fallen world. So I always want to make sure that when I talk about suffering, um, that, that moms know that it, it's kind of normal to suffer in these circumstances and it's hard work and you find those little pockets of joy where you can and and all that happiness where you can and and enjoy being with your children certainly but realize it's hard work it's really hard work and you're not alone in doing that yeah there are various versions of this prayer out there but a friend taught me this one years ago uh lord make more good come from what i do badly than what i do well yeah i love that that's so true. And a bad day at homeschooling is still a pretty good day. You know, it really is still a pretty good day because you do have your family around you and you love your children. And there's nothing better than being around your kids, I think, and, and those family connections. But you're going to have bad days. So, you know, the ideal is lovely. I had delusions of idealness when I started this. <laughs> I really did. I was such a goofball. <laughs> Who isn't when they start out? <laughs> right. And you think everything's just going to be lovely and you're going to be sitting under a tree reading out loud to them and they're going to be absorbing all of this and nobody's ever going to cry or not want to do it or, you know, <laughs> oh, but it's, it's, you know, they're kids and it's hard and they, they don't want to do math and they don't want to do science and they, they want to, you know, the boys especially, they just want to go outside and run around like maniacs and constantly fighting in the house is always a mess because all these people are in it all the time and it's just it's a lot of hard work and you can suffer a lot through that it's really hard so Hmm. you're not alone i've been there (laughs) how do you put handles on joy in the midst of all the mayhem do you have any techniques or particular go-to thoughts that help you Well, embrace yeah. joy. <laughs> How do you embrace joy? I'm embracing uh, well, they- it. <laughs> Everyone, be quiet. I'm embracing joy. <laughs> you have it's really <laughs> yeah right. Everybody, go away. Mommy needs some joy. <laughs> go outside. Um, it's it's a little easier for me now because, like I said, I'm only homeschooling three, and they're older. You know, two high school, one in late middle school. I don't have babies and toddlers and all that stuff where you're, you just can't even seem to catch your breath. But what I would what I would do, and I still do do, when when it's getting too much and I'm overwhelmed, um, 
how do I find joy is first of all, I do, I stop, everybody stop what you're doing. Sometimes if it's winter and it's cold, we'll light a candle. Mm. We'll say a quick prayer and we'll play a game. And then I remember why I like them. Oh, you know, <laughs> because they're fun. They are fun. So yeah. when they were little, I'd sit down and we'd sing a song or we'd watch a, a, like a Barney video or something like that. We'd sing along and I'd get into it for a half hour with them. And I'd remember, all oh, right, yes, they're nice. I like them. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's all good again. It's going to be fine. You know, you have to find those little pockets of, yes, God gave me these kids and he's going to equip me. Um, so I just have to find the moment where I can kind of reconnect with why I'm doing this, you know, stop and read them the book or go outside and walk around, you know, go for a walk, go play kickball. I am not an outdoorsy person, but you want to make my kids laugh. Watch me like throw a football or a kickball, anything with a ball. <laughs> and suddenly we're all goofing around and everybody's laughing at mommy and it's hilarious. And, and so you, you just have to stop, right? And just don't let yourself get sucked into that. Uh, I don't know. I hate everything about this moment. Just head it off at the pass. Um, reconnect yeah. with the day. And mm -hmm. in the winter, it's a candle and a game. And in the summer, it's it's um, kickball outside or just stop and go to the pool or whatever. You know, the the there are some days when it's better to do that than to finish that math lesson or whatever it is that's giving you a headache, that term paper or that college application. Oh my gosh, those are horrible. <laughs> so oh, oh. <laughs> and I could have everybody in the house fighting for some reason. One kid's college application and nine people hate each other. <laughs> like, so, oh, the stress from that. Oh, it's terrible. It's really? just terrible. The FAFSA forms and the scholarship applications and the essays, it's just so stressful. Oh. So you have to stop and say, why are we doing this? What's, what's the goal here? and reconnect as a family, however that is. And that's how I hang on to the joy. And for moms who have young children, um, it does get easier to do that because they, they themselves will start to recognize, all right, she's going off a cliff. What, do, what do we do? <laughs> 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 you know? And that's when they'll leave or they'll, they'll go. Um, I have one who would just get in the car, her, her car and go get me Starbucks. Oh, I love her. Food. Yes. <laughs> She would come home with something for me from Starbucks and that was her Aww. way of heading off mommy. And it's sweet, you know. And so when you're when you're when you make these little efforts when they're little, you reap the benefits when they're big because they can see how we need to reconnect and what what kind of little loving gestures can help bring you back to that place of joy. And that's what it's about, loving gestures. Yeah. And those little gestures can be remembered for a long time to come. They become part of a family culture, um, which exactly. which brings me to the question of what are some typical pitfalls that we get caught in? Because that idea of your daughter bringing you Starbucks and you being funny throwing a ball, those are the unique things about your family. Right. You couldn't have gotten to any of those places of joy and reconnection by looking at somebody else's family. So what, what kinds of things t trip us up typically and keep us from, from being joyful? Um, I think the idea that, and a lot of moms do this, I do it myself. You, you, first of all, going on social media and seeing somebody's Instagram of their beautiful homeschool, um, of their beautiful learning room, of their beautiful little project or whatever, or blog. It used to be more blogs. Now it seems to be Instagram and Pinterest. Everybody just stay off Pinterest. It's horrible. <laughs> it just makes you feel like you don't do anything right. But you start to, it's that comparison. A lot of people fall into this trap of comparing themselves. Um, in my work with Seton, you'll see 
that some moms can can open up the curriculum and do absolutely everything it they do everything in the lesson plans they they and they're wonderful god bless them i have never been able to do that myself and then other moms can't fit all that in it's just not within their you know they work or they have or they just find it overwhelming so they don't do that and they feel bad don't feel bad don't feel bad because what you're doing is right for your family god planned you for your family and that lady for her family and you can't you can't compare yourself to that. And I think we moms particularly fall into that kind of compare. And it's so self-defeating. It's the devil whispering at you. It's him saying, you're not good enough. You are absolutely good enough. It's a real pitfall. And that's when you start hating your life and hating your husband and hating your, your house is ugly and your kids are terrible and the dog is a mess and everything is awful. It's just, it's the wrong place to be. So tune that out. Just tune that out. Delete the apps from your phone if they if they cause you to feel that way. You don't need Instagram. Millions of people have lived without Instagram. You'll be fine. Mm. And Pinterest and all that. Delete it if it you know, or make it like a Sunday for an hour thing. Mm-hmm. And just live your life and know that God is with you. And He took time out of mind before this was even all formed. He knew that you were going to be the best people for those kids and for your husband and for your home and your community, whatever you're doing. So just focus on serving them and taking care of yourself and you'll be fine. It's, I see it time and time again. It's that, that pitfall of comparison and we all do it. We all do Mm -hmm. it. I'm not, I'm I'm not skinny enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. You're fine. And that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a really big one. And then you put that burden on the kids because you get kind of cranky with the kids because so-and-so is on, you know, lesson 28 in math and you're only on lesson 13. You know, and then the kid is anxious and upset and, and doesn't it feel adequate. And it's just a really bad spiral. That, that I would say is the biggest pitfall. Homeschooling moms, but all moms, I think, probably are prone to this. Any mom. And you mm-hmm. shouldn't do it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I re- what you were saying about feeling like we have to do it all just because somebody else does it all. Or maybe we just imagine that other people do it all. I had such a hard time admitting that it wasn't working at first. Um, I was trying to do it everything on the lesson plan with the box of stuff that I bought. And I called up, and it was great stuff. It was just more than I could handle. I called up Seton, and I talked to someone and broke down crying. And the very lovely woman said to me, you really don't have to do it all. See what works for your child. And I was like, what? I just couldn't believe that anyone, you know, it was such an act of mercy in that moment. But I had to be at the breaking point and my child had to be miserable before I asked for help. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. And that's another thing. Ask for help. It's okay. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs help. It, it's not, there's no shame in saying I need help. And whether, whether that help is with teaching something, if you're hiring out teaching, if you're using homeschool connections for something, if you're hiring a math tutor, if you're using a Seton counselor or you're hiring a homeschool consultant, get the help. If you need a cleaning lady, me, I have not been in a grocery store in years. I just have them delivered because it's the one thing I just can't do. It's, I don't particularly care to do it. And now we have all these wonderful services that will bring you your groceries. And I am happy to pay somebody to do that. And it provides a little income for them. It's the one thing I just can't fit in and don't want to. So I get help for that. If you're feeling depressed or you're feeling like you just can't cope, go to the doctor, get help. There's no shame in any of that. You know, don't, it's, it's not about rubbing on an essential oil or changing your diet. Sometimes, sometimes you really just need to go to the doctor and get help. You know, so I I tell that to people all the time. If you really can't pull yourself out of this, 
go get a physical, go get a doctor, tell somebody, call a priest, call a counselor, get somebody to help you. There is no shame in admitting that you need help. This is a huge you know, a lot of us have full-time jobs or part-time jobs and then the full-time homeschooling job. And then you have a house to take care of and a husband who needs you and kids who need you and maybe parents who need you. Oh my gosh, you need help. Get help. Whatever yeah. help makes you feel better, get the help. It's no shame. Yeah. Yeah. No, some of the best turning points in my life have been when I have asked for help. And, and there were times when I needed counseling too. And Praise God, the most unlikely people came into my life and were a blessing to me and I to them. Because you don't realize that you're in crisis, but in the process of sharing your life of faith with someone who may not have a life of faith. And of course, in an ideal world, we all have the perfect Catholic therapist. But I found that God put me in the presence of people who needed me too. Yes, that's, yeah, that's incredibly important to understand. When, um, when Ryan died, we had... Um, this meal chain for every day for three months at five o'clock, a hot meal was delivered to my door, which is incredible. And I said to my friend who organized it, I said, I don't know, this is just so much to ask. And she said, I'm going to ask you to be charitable and let other people help you. Cause that's not me. You know, I like to be in control and I like to do everything. And it was the first time anybody had ever expressed to me the idea that letting people help you can be a charity because people want to care. You know, it's, it's ingrained in most people. They want to care. When, when someone's in crisis, how can I help? What can I do? And sometimes it's a meal, grocery shopping, or taking the kids to the park for an afternoon. or You know, whatever it is. It's charitable to let other people help you. So if you do need help, don't deprive somebody else the opportunity to serve. You know, that's, that's really important in all of us that we serve when we can. Now, I don't have little kids anymore, so I'm happy to help other people with little kids when I can. Or to you know, I I have a lot more free time than I used to. So this week I went and watched um, a young friend's soccer game because the mom couldn't get there. So I went and, and did the soccer thing, the soccer mom thing, and I was just happy to be asked and happy to do it. I mean, and I'll do it again. So let people serve and help you. It's 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 a gift to them as well as helping yourself. Yeah, we actually early in this podcast's history, and I'll post the link to it. We did an interview with Amanda Waddell, and her whole topic was accepting help. And, um, and it was amazing how it, topic. Yeah, it just blessed the lives of so many people in her church community at the point where she just said, I can't do it. I'm morning sick. My dishes are full of, my, my dishes are piled up in the sink that I need help and re started reaching out to people and it blessed them immeasurably. Yeah. Imagine how wonderful the world would be if everybody just helped everybody else. Like okay. if you weren't afraid to just put it out there and say, I need help. Can you drive my kid? Can you teach math? Can you, whatever it is, just ask, you know, take the little burden off you, even if it's a temporary thing. Not all help has to be permanent, you know, it just, yeah. it, it's a grace. It really is. It truly is. Oh, so you've got, uh, I love all the little places that you're able to step back into reconnecting with your kids and your joy and, and noticing the different seasons of life and how meaningful they can be. Um, who or what inspires you when things are really tough? Oh, wow. Well, um, oh, a couple of things. Like St. Wise, St. Hildegard, I've just recently kind of found out a lot about her and she she did not have an easy life, and she was an incredibly brilliant woman who um, wasn't always regarded as such, especially by the, the 
the monks and the men because they thought women couldn't do this back then. And mm -hmm. I, so I find that inspiring that she just persevered through all kinds of hardships. Um, and I find my husband really inspiring too, because he just has such a, a heart for service. You know, he takes very good care of us, but he takes very good care of everybody he encounters. Um, and he, I, he's always trying to, he's, he does all these little things around. Like yesterday, he got home very late and then he worked because there's some tax deadline tomorrow. He worked until two in the morning here at the house. But in between that, he, he saw that there was laundry in the dryer. So he's taking it out and folding the laundry just because it was there. And he said, stop, stop. I can fold the laundry. Don't do my chores. It's okay. Go. Like, you're so busy. But that's him. He sees it and he does it. He doesn't complain about it. He doesn't ask. He doesn't make a fuss. He just does it. And so every day he inspires me to do that. Because me, I'm like, oh, the laundry, nobody else <laughs> folds the towels. And, uh, you know? <laughs> he would never do that. He just sees a pile of towels and he folds them, mm -hmm. you know? And, and every day he calls to me to be better. He really does. Um, mm -hmm. So I think those are, the, well, that, yeah, he's, he's my big one. And then as saints go, uh, it would be St. Hildegard right now because I'm really learning a lot about her. Um, there are so many homeschool moms who have inspired me, um, Maureen Whitman being one of them, and Alice Gunther and Macbeth Durham, and my friend Chris Volpe, um, all amazing in very different ways, homeschooling moms. And there's a million of them. Um, who've just touched me and inspired me to be a better homeschooling mother and just a better mother in general, and certainly a more faithful person. I've had many great, um, many great women who've inspired me to, for deeper faith and some not even homeschooling friends, my friends, uh, Teresa and Angela, um, my friend, Teresa Hansen is good at just about everything. So I, yeah, I've been very blessed in that. I've been very blessed. Yeah. And that's that's that could be a great topic for another day, but homeschooling certainly opens up pathways to remarkable lifelong friendships. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be a great topic. That yeah. would be a great topic. Yeah. All you right. do a bit of inspiring yourself, you know. We've known each other probably <laughs> going on twenty years now. Has it been that long? Something like that. <laughs> It amazes me to hear anyone say that because I I came in uh, a late life mother of an only child, fought to get her out of the public schools, and then, you know, went to battle and, and finally won after the fourth grade and came in in a panic with a kid who'd already been damaged by the public school and was already, you know, like had been standing up for the, the downtrodden at school and really taking it in the chin. And... Um, and I just soaked you up. I soaked up everybody that you just mentioned. You know, everybody, we're all, we're on Long Island together. So we're in the same homeschool network, but you were all my lifelines. And, and, uh, and I was learning from you even when in 2009 is when we started. Oh, I yeah. saw your family walk through losing Ryan and, and you still inspire me. Oh, thank you. You're so kind. You really mm. are. Thank you. Any final thought to leave us with, Mary Ellen? <sighs> Um, yes, that I am praying for you all the time. I pray for homeschool moms all the time. And <laughs> at Seton, they say the Angelus every day and they pray for homeschoolers every day, Catholic homeschoolers. Um, so if, if you're in a Seton mom or you're not a Seton mom, just know that you're, you're being covered in prayer by, um, Dr. Clark, 
who is one of the holiest people in the world. She's just a dear, dear woman, and she she holds that very close to her heart. And if you are one of those moms who's suffering and you're doing the best you can, know that I'm in there for you. Um, my email address, I think, will probably be you, you link that. Give, um, feel free to email me if you just need to vent or if you need some resources or anything like that. Um, I've been there through a lot of it. And um, I'm thinking of you and praying for you all the time. And and you just have my heart because I I know how badly you want to do this well and how hard you all work. And, and that is not a small thing. And God knows it too. Mm, thank you so much, Mary Ellen. It's always a joy to be with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody find Mary Ellen at maryellenbarrett.com. We have other links, one to her blog, also to Seton, and also to three past episodes that we did with Mary Ellen. We did our very first episode, Busting Myths About Homeschoolers. And then that was number one, episode 30, Keeping Your Husband Happy, Easy Tips. That was a ton of fun. And, and number 69, Love in a Time of Quarantine. So those links will be there too. Um, please stay tuned, everybody, for our short feature coming right up. Welcome to the Thriving Catholic Homeschool Blueprint. My name is Paula Siskinik. I'm the co-founder of the Catholic Homeschool Network, Conferences, and Community. In my early years of homeschooling, I can vividly remember many days just daydreaming of the perfect homeschool day. My dream would begin with me waltzing into the dining room. Okay, maybe not waltzing, more like walking. And I would hand out lesson plans to each child, and of course they would be prepared well ahead of time. It would follow with them dutifully gathering all their books and materials. Of course, they'd know exactly where everything was. There was no hunting around the house, between chair cushions, under the beds. Next, they would cheerfully begin their assignments, independently, just pausing to ask questions for clarification. <laughs> While I sat on the couch and nursed the baby, the older ones would tend to the needs of the toddlers, maybe even making lunch for them. Without exception, my fridge would have a long list of the menu plan laid out for months. I'd have a boatload of ready-to-heat frozen dinners in my freezer. All the laundry would be caught up, folded, and put away. Never, ever happened in over 25 years. Why? Well, none of that was attainable or realistic. So how did I get everything done? I did launch seven children into the world. I know hundreds of families who have done the same. And what is the solution? Well, let's just say we definitely come into homeschooling with this picture in our heads that often little resembles reality. We're filled with this vision that resembles what perhaps we're familiar with, that of our own educational experience, even those that are perhaps suggested in some of the homeschooling books you've read or posts that you've seen. Homeschooling looks nothing like that. I'd like to call it more a homeschool lifestyle. You see, because when we try to be at peace with this mindset that is totally different and disconnected from what the reality is, we become overwhelmed. We believe we're not enough for our kids. The solution, simple. 
let go and stop copying the school model. Get clear by getting back to your why you began homeschooling in the very first place and get clear with what are your family's educational goals. When you look hard at the why, we get clarity, we get focus. That's like your home base. Homeschooling looks nothing like the familiar picture we have of school. Why should it be? It's a totally different beast with totally different interests and purposes. Okay, yes, school and homeschool is about teaching our kids the rudiments of learning, such as the three R's, but that's where the similarity ends. Unless you're, of course, biding some time, want to get your kids back into a brick and mortar school, you see, we home educate to honor the unique, beautiful souls that are on loan to us. We desire a simple, joy-filled, faithful life where we let silence into our lives to give room for the voice of God. It's a place of sharing our hearts, getting to know, yes, ourselves, getting to know our children, and for them to get to know us. So let us begin with a clear and obtainable goal. Yes, attainable. How often do we overbook, overload our schedule? Do we actually carve out time for derailments? They will happen, those derailments. Even things that are good that we have planned may zap us of the energy that we had planned for doing our routine schoolwork. You see, we have imposed on ourselves the wrong picture of school. We never have enough time in the day because we're, we are not being realistic about our goals. Now, I'm not suggesting that our educational goals are too lofty, quite the contrary. I believe and know firsthand that they are more than attainable if we truly line them up with our overall homeschooling goals and we tie that to the ultimate goal of education, our why. See you in the next video. May God bless you abundantly. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.